Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of STFU, the interview show that's a lot nicer than it sounds. I'm your host, Zach, here with my good friend, Adam, and today we have a very special guest on deck, Mr. Larry Wilhelm, author of book three of Against the Aeon Throne, The Rune Drive Gambit. So Larry hails from the frozen northern ice scape, the land of the Wendigo and the mythical Yeti, also known as Canada, and has been gaming since the release of the legendary Redbox, giving him lots of that OG cred. Larry currently lives in Edmonton, where he works as a registered nurse, has two children, holds a degree in physical education, and generally likes to promote good health and well-being. Mr. Larry Wilhelm, welcome to the show. Hey! Thanks, guys. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks, thanks for coming coming back and seeing us again, man. We we really appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. Uh, glad to have you. So, uh, before we get started, Larry, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to uh, mention about yourself? Anything we missed in the introduction? No, I think you got it all. I uh, still working as a nurse. I still have two kids, so it's your spot on. Still live next door to the Windigo. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> you guys dangerous. good pals. He's always hungry. the first time i I learned about a wendigo i think it was a comic book some kind of it's like spider-man comic or something for me it was the um the scary stories remember those the scary stories books those like collection of of like scary stories for kids and there was like black and white drawings yeah but it was like pre that and they were like legitimately scary you know and like they had these really really scary drawings in them that were like black and white and really like grotesque and distorted and stuff. And there was like a story about the Wendigo and, and one of those. And I've been scared ever <laughs> yeah. since. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say nothing to play around with. Be careful out there, Larry. You got to watch out for that Wendigo. Appreciate um, it. <laughs> so uh, before we uh, jump into specifics about the AP, how did you get into tabletop role-playing and uh, as a player and then eventually as a writer? Take us well, through that. Yeah, well, uh, that takes me back quite a while. It's my uh, good friend, uh, my buddy Leo, uh, we would uh, sneak into his older brother's room and steal all his books when he'd go to the club or whatever they call it. And we were probably, <laughs> probably 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, and we would take the books out through whatever we could write whatever we could and um, draw maps and get ready to play and when his brother would come home we'd have to sneak everything back so we'd stay up probably from 9 p.m to 1 a.m and then have to put it away before our last call kind of idea and he got home <laughs> so you yeah. didn't get to actually memorize the rules you sort of had to make up your own interpretation it, it it was a mix of the two. Definitely, when we first started, it was a bastardization of of, of the rules for sure. But maybe that's what were you got like? My... Were you limited to to leveling up until your brother went out again? You're <laughs> yeah, like, no, ah, no. like you can't go any further. We have got to wait till well, bro no, leaves. Only, you know, we only had up to level three in that red book, so we were limited to level three until we got to have hold of the blue one that got chipped. I think to level seven or nine. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, wow. time time was of the essence. But you know, later on. You know, we got our own copies, and but I always remember his dad was a taxi cab driver, so he'd be out all night. And his brother would leave, and we would just play. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Would you take turns uh, DMing, or would you just kind of just both were players and makeshift DMs? Actually, I didn't start DMing till much later. Like I, I would just play. He was the one running it all because he would be able to sneak more peeks than I could. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I DM my first game till university. Embarrassingly enough, and that kind of ties me into my writing. I was taking my nursing degree, and suddenly I was done, and I was bored, and I had all this time on my hand, and went to a local uh, hobby store and saw the uh, Dungeon Magazine Adventure Path Age of Worms, and I fell in love with it, and then that magazine stopped but all the people who were doing those adventure paths went on to a thing called Paizo and it asked me if I wanted to forward my subscription to this Paizo company and lo and behold I did and they used to have open calls and I just kept applying for open calls and them telling me no 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 and they must have got sick of me applying and said fine idiot write one <laughs> and which one was that that was your first one yeah it was for Pathfinder Society Scenario Season Zero uh, Fingerprints of the Fiend Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. A long and, and storied history that led you to this point. But uh, yeah. But here we are now. And you made it. You made it. I, I did. On, you made you're it. You're on STFU. <laughs> so, like, big time. Big time. You now. should. Yeah. You should really feel like you've been <laughs> successful in your life. Ne- this next is how week, you know. Yeah. Next week they're unveiling my Hollywood star, so I'm pretty pretty. <laughs> oh man, there you go. Big week you're for in you, there man. now. Yeah. Big week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, fantastic. <laughs> so, Larry, as you know, we are a Starfinder podcast. And, um, you know, we love to champion the system. Uh, but from what I have looked up of your work, you have written a lot more Pathfinder than Starfinder. Although a, a pretty good bit of Starfinder, I will say. So I was just curious what your general thoughts uh, are on the system Starfinder and how that compares to Pathfinder 1E. Yeah, they're pretty similar. Obviously, they kind of grew from the other. Uh, and I think the reason why I have more Pathfinder credits is just Pathfinder's been around longer. I think if you look back since Starfinder's been started, I think I actually have more Starfinder credits. I was approached by uh, Thurston Hillman to write for the Starfinder scenario for Gen Con, and I just loved the opportunity to do science fiction. It was such a change from what I'd been doing. Not that I'm not grateful for fantasy or a board of it. It was just something different and got the juices mm-hmm. going again. And, um, you know, it's... I think I, I think the biggest difference for me is like even creating monsters. It's such a cleaner way to do that and doing encounters in Starfinder than it was back in in One E. One E we had these huge spreadsheets that we'd have to use, and with uh, Starfinder it's just really clean at the back. I just really use what's in the back of the Alien Archive and just follow that method. And it's cool because you can make any monster, any level, any class, and it just kind of pours out nicely. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? I, I don't, I'm not sure if everyone who's listening has looked into creating a monster. Well, what is kind of the process of that? Yeah, well, the first thing you want to find out kind of is you know what its challenge rating is, you know how you want it to challenge the party, and it's then as boring as it sounds, it's quite a bit of math. Um, you know, in in the old system, you know you were kind of limited to you know if you're doing a troglodyte. It would troglite would be a CR, whatever it would be, and you're stuck there. And if you wanted to make it anything different, you'd have to add classes. And it was like if it was like a fighter for a troglite, it was like two levels equals one, and it was just a nightmare. And then if you did like <laughs> yeah. uh, something else, it was like, this one is full level, and you, know, you wanted to just stop halfway in. Um, you know, a good example with Starfinder, the first adventure I wrote, I wanted to make an Etten have two heads, and the heads were kind of against each other, and you know, I think normally an Etten was a CR5 creature, but with Starfinder, I can make an Etten be whatever CR I wanted just by following, you know, what was done. And it was just easier. The way they've, you can tell they've put a lot of thought into it. Even that spreadsheet was amazing. I think it was Sean Reynolds who made it. Amazing that he made that up. And then they could tell that through the years, they wanted to kind of make that system more streamlined. Because it was, I bet you that was quite a barrier to entry uh, to getting into writing. Because, you know, we're all coming with writing thinking, okay, I'm doing grammar. I'm a good writer. 
oh my god, now I got to do stat blocks and math. It's, it's pretty <laughs> yeah. tricky. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and that that sounds like a very kind of run around or convoluted. Not you know, it's just very stretched out <laughs> way to do it. Versus, and so what you're saying is that what they provided in the CRB or in the Alien Archive, rather, um, the rules for creating your own monsters there is is like the system for making monsters for Starfinder. Like you have the same tools available to you that the developers are writers of the, that's awesome. They've done a really good job of, of making it more accessible for everyone. I think, you know, of course there's some areas where it doesn't fit a rule and you can talk back and forth with your developer and they find what works, you know, you know, maybe I, the monster I make as well. Hey, you know what? This is a little bit too tough. We have to either increase this or pull it back. It's kind of a bit of an art form, but it's, it's it's very nice. I I, I really could tell they obviously uh, the evolution behind the way they've done that has gotten really well. That seems to be kind of a, a trend as Paisa has been developing. Do you think that that the CRB over the course of the systems over one E to Starfinder to two E has been a lot more in mind of giving the create your own tool set? incorporated into the game more so it seems that way like 2e like they give you all the little plug and play things you know to do and putting just as much focus into the being able to have the rule set to create your own stuff as in the core rules i I do but i think they've paizo's always done that one thing paizo does wonderfully is they want to put their creation in the hands of their fans and get their fans to buy that this is my world too I remember being, before I was writing, I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is this, this is this. And I felt I had some ownership of, of the world. And they've just got better at that through listening to fans and having, you know, a PaizoCon. They have these wonderful things where you can sit in and learn about their world or learn about how to write for them and learn about how to create a monster. They're super accessible. And, and I think they've carried that forward and learned how to do that better through their experience. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a minute ago that writing for Starfinder kind of, uh, you know, was a fresh take, got your juices flowing creatively. Um, For me, I think that the science fantasy setting is really great because you can not only include those fantastical elements, but you also get the sci-fi elements too. So could you kind of, how do you feel about writing Starfinder versus Pathfinder in terms of creative inspiration? You're asking me which my favorite child is. That's cruel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know it is. I, I love sorry. them both. No, no, I, I do love them both. <laughs> um, you know, go back to Pathfinder. I always loved Nemeria and that world of science fantasy that's on Galorian. And I remember I got jazzed to be able to write a giant robot in the beast area of one of the in the adventure path that dealt with Nemeria. Um, and that was always exciting for me. I, I grew up watching Thundar the Barbarian. I don't know if you know that, but some listeners uh, will know Thundar the Barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> Lords of Light, and yeah, and and so I was really happy to do that. Um, they're they're both tropes, like fantasy. I, I guess you know you're right. You can whatever you to boil it down, whatever you can do in fantasy, you can do in science fantasy. So science fantasy lets you do more, I think. Right. Well, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. That's what drew me to the system in the first place is the kind of freedom to have a, a little bit of fantasy in, in your sci-fi and. To do both, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, can you talk a little bit about the AP writing process? You've written several uh, books of APs. You've written a lot of society stuff. Um, what do you get 
from Paizo? Uh, you know, and what's left to your discretion? Do you get maps or do you create maps? Like, what what goes into all that? Yeah, yeah, they they do give me a lot of stuff. I, I was looking um, back onto it when I wrote the Rune Drive Gambit. Uh, what they sent to me was a 23-page adventure path bible, is what we call them, and basically that goes through and gives you the outlines for all three adventures, so you have an idea what's happening before you and um, in the first adventure, the second adventure. So when you write the third, you can kind of okay, here's what's happened, here's where it's going, here's where I should you know be. Uh, they talk about timelines, uh, major NPCs. Um, and then to break it down, then in my little section, it's a little bit more advanced outline, and they give me the word count, they give me um, what level I start at, what level I end at, um, kind of tell me, hey, what kind of monsters we want to see. Like, I'm looking at it right now, and it says required monsters, Aeon Guard, Aeon Guard Specialist, who became a Vandrian, and then the, mm-hmm. gray, then the gray Alien. So those were the three monsters that they said required. Then for suggested monsters, they just put Patrol Class Security Robot. And so when you see those... I'm like, well, they're asking me to put those in, so let's not. You're going to put those in because they're they're asking you to. Um, as for maps, they say to me, I'm allowed two pages of maps, and I think I did four half pages about of maps, and I, I draw them myself, and I can get you guys some rough copies of that. And the starship, I asked if I can do. There's a starship in every front cover and back cover, and then mm-hmm. what's what's cool about that is then you can use that starship in your adventure and kind of cheat on word count because. You don't have to put the word count in your adventure. You can have it on the front cover. And the same with the monsters. You know, I in the back of the book, I wrote three monsters, and that way I could, you know, have a couple of unique monsters in my adventures. And those were the um, uh, the Twin Soul, the Entropy Slug, and then the Atlante Robot, who I actually called the Clockworks Man, but then they changed <laughs> the name and and went with that. <laughs> well, the Twin Soul was a was a particularly. Uh, interesting encounter for us as we were running through it and and certainly one of my favorite enemies throughout the entire aeon throne um adventure path and to some degree inspired a lot of the story you know our personal story that we've put on top of it just with the idea of this thing existing in two planes at once just got my wheels going and, and sp- spun us off in a whole tangent you know so kudos to that i i loved the twin soul and it made for a very intense and interesting fight it was it was really fun to write and like going back to you know your comment earlier about sci-fi versus fantasy i don't know if this could have been a monster for fantasy and i was worried when writing him that maybe he wouldn't have made it in or she wouldn't have made it in as is because i kind of was going quite gonzo with the ethereal plane and this plane and but you know, Jason Keeling development, he didn't change much. Just cleaned up a lot of my grammar. To their credit, they really let a lot of cool things happen in Starfinder. Not that they're not in in Pathfinder, because there's some cool stuff there. But like you say, you can just play with space and 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 realities and alternate realities, and it's, it's fun. Yeah. So, what prompted the Twin Soul? Was it the the idea of having this lab, or uh, did you come up with the three different sections of labs? You know, like how yeah. did you how did you arrive at this creature? Yeah, with, with the with the twin soul, I didn't know what it was going to be. I think in my outline I put I have to have two grays. And I was going to have them in one of the labs, and I had I think I wrote beast for the grays to be experimenting on. I think that was what I wrote in my outline. And then you know you start writing, and as you're writing, you start getting cool ideas, and as you're drawing your maps, you get cool ideas. But you're thinking, okay, this rune drive. Well, what kind of you know in Starfinder there's the drift. 
you know, then the Atlantis Empire had something that predated the drift. Well, what was it? What exactly was it? And nothing was ever defined to stone of what this was. So I thought, well, what would help them study a way to unlock the rune drive? Well, let's look at bending realities, going to another dimension and hopping through dimensions. And that's where I got the uh, the idea for something that exists in two planes at once to help power space spaceship design. I thought that was really fascinating. And I also thought that the the Bend Travel Lab was the coolest lab. Uh, you know, I, I really dug that approach. Stargate feel. Yeah, the Stargate just, thing. Yeah. yeah, I was about it. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, it. Not, not just Stargate. I think Big Hero 6. Okay, that, okay. yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I yeah. think that's where my map idea came. I think I was, I, you know, I, I was drawing my maps at Christmas time. Uh, a couple of years ago, it must have been, it was a couple, yeah, it's three or four years ago by now, geez. And I was, remember it was Christmas and I think Big Hero 6 was on and my nieces and nephews were watching it and that scene where the guy goes into and out, I'm like, oh wow, cool, that's such a great idea. And, you know, I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to take that. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> and, I, and I thought it'd be so much fun. And again, you know, so much fun for like the grace to try and trick you to come in there. And, you know, you're always hoping every time you listen to a podcast, every time you hear someone say, I like your adventure. You want to know, did you jump through? Did you go in? How did that work? And awesome stories come out of that. Yeah. Well, sure. in our case, our captain got dragged through the portal by herself, which yeah. was <laughs> actually a lot of fun because it created a, a great moment of tension. We spent about three turns all trying to decide, are we going to go in or are we going to just see if Wait. she comes out? <laughs> you know, we, we don't know. Uh, Adam showed Emily the picture of the twin soul but didn't show us and told her not to describe it oh nice and nice. so we're like what is what is that what is she fighting you know like we don't like know. but they still heard the numbers right so yeah. they still heard oh well does a 37 hit you know <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. uh and like oh that's doing you know 28 points of damage in one shot um here comes the next one and they're like what is she facing <laughs> yeah, it was, it yeah. Was neat to, it was neat to do those labs because you could do them in any order and you know if you don't if you go straight to that one and don't kind of find equipment and healing, you could really get into trouble. So I think actually in that one, I kind of put a medical lab right beside it because I knew that was going to be a pretty tough encounter. Yeah. 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 That was clutch to have right there at the end for sure. There's a lot of parties who, who come into Starfinder without a dedicated healer of any kind. So good on you for throwing that medical lab, just a little, a little pity room at the end there, just in case uh, everything went straight to hell, you know? That kind of brings me to a question that I had for you, Larry. Um, with the medical lab, that kind of speaks to this idea of balancing your encounters with, you know, the resources that a party might have. And so can you tell us a little bit about about the process around encounter building and their frequency. And I asked because Aurelius was a pretty extensive dungeon, if you will, with lots of encounters. Do you consider long rests and short rests as part of the math or the balance for this? You know, how, how do you determine what a adventuring day is as you're writing something that's so enclosed and it like Aurelius? Yeah, definitely. And as you're writing too, you, you know that the character is going to start at a certain level five they're going to get to level six and they're going to finish at level seven so you got to also remember too like you know there is linearity you know you start off at station z and i think by the mm -hmm. time you leave station z you should level up and you should mm -hmm. have a chance to heal and have downtime so whatever happened before you're going to be fresh for arellos and then when you get to arellos it is very you can't really leave and come back because there's nowhere to go 
and right. and, and right. You, you you know you you throw in things like okay I'm gonna put this sanitation drone who has some information and can and um, maybe some information about a rebellion where you can find some equipment that the rebellion was stashing to help you I'm going to put a medical lab after an encounter that I think could be hard uh, just because you're going to need that and and I can't control what one party or the next party is going to do but I do want to put little spots in there where it's quote unquote safe and restock their their health right because you can't you can't plan for everything but you can put things in to help mitigate what they've done. And I imagine you have a lot of playtesting that goes into that as well. Whenever you're sort of designing these encounters, you want to at least simulate a little bit of the run through of that so that you can get a gauge for how easy or how difficult uh, the string of encounters would be. Yeah, definitely. You try to, you try to play test as much as you can and whenever you can. And I'll be honest, I haven't been able to play test every single thing I've written over my career and, and, and it probably does show like you know something that works really well is probably something I've been able to play test and something that doesn't work as well is something maybe I wasn't able to play test how I wanted to and um, with the Aeon the rune drive I was able to you know get my group to play through sections of it and you know it helps you know because they needed help at this area okay well I better put a you know a med pack or uh, serum of healing. I, okay, well, I better put your ally here. I better create this whole area over here that's self-contained that you can maybe trick the little elevator not to work so you can stay in the living quarters and be safe for a little while, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and and if you don't play test, and, and Paizo does expect their freelancers to, to play test, um, you'll run into tr- trouble. And and I've been you know I, I've been guilty of that too. <laughs> uh, so it goes so what do you think is your greatest triumph in in this book versus what do you th- wish that you could have changed if, if i can if i can pry that from you i, I think it's perfect no i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> oh, nice perfect yeah. great answer no, great god, answer god, man no, god, no. um you know i you know for instance you know you know and guard specialist um they gave me a little bit of information. I, I'm just gonna give me a sec here. I want to see what they what they said because I don't want to take because the developers really do uh, help a lot. Yeah. So this Aeon Guard specialist, you know, like Evandrian was really cool, and they, and they kind of detailed him about being a trained killer, very good at his job, loyal to the throne, not not to not to Azolan. Um, this uh, this area that the pieces can turn him against his Zolan, you know, because this guy's got this ultimate loyal loyalty to the Islanti Empire, not to the Sardat. And just being able to write him and have him kind of be a thorn in your sides and let you guys or the PCs potentially sway him or not sway him. You know, it's written in the book, hey, what happens if the PCs kill him early? Well, they do, good for them. What happens if the PCs turn him against the, 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 the Sardat? Here's what happens. And that was really challenging to uh, to do and, and for Paizo to kind of introduce this character and here's what we want this guy and he can be a double agent or he can go sway sway to each side i really enjoyed that about the book and it brought a lot of character to the book i thought yeah i thought it was nice to have an aeon guard that did have a personality you know because throughout the adventure you're you're fighting a lot of like i mean literally faceless enemies as they all have that helmet and they're all, you know, you kind of stormtroopers, if you will, they all end up just being the same. And then you have this one that does cause a lot of grief for the party, but it, it, it it gives you like a kind of a through line for a of a villain that you want to just 
deal with but can't and, and it just kind of gives some momentum to it while giving a particular characterization to an enemy type that had been otherwise kind of samey throughout you know yeah uh, oh yeah he provided a great uh, a great foil for us I thought I, I know I love to hate him you know, but I, I did appreciate that he was more developed, like Adam said, than in your normal um, Aeon guard. So I, yeah, I think you did great with that. It was it was a lot of fun. Those series of encounters. I know that my character absolutely hated him, and I, I think he called him <laughs> Rat Boy all the time because he scurried off every time we'd get the upper hand. Uh, but it was it was a lot of fun to have him constantly antagonizing you and and constantly being worried about him popping up in a random place. You never really felt 100% comfortable being there. You knew Zolon wasn't there, right? Yeah. He was coming, he was going to arrive later. But Evandrian was on site, and he was always a potential threat. Yeah, and for some stuff I would like to have done more of, I, I, you know, I thought in the, in the second book, you know, Outpost Zed, uh, Eleanor created such a fun sandbox to play in. I would like to be able to play in there more, but because of my bulk of my adventure was at Aurelos. I was only able to put, you know, two to three encounters on Outpost of that, but that place was pretty cool. And, you know, listening to you guys' podcast and seeing just how that, you know, evolves and things that you guys put into our writing is really cool. And the majority of that's thrown into Outpost that, which I really get a kick out of. Yeah, Outpost that is just a fascinating locale, you know, like, how can you not just... Milk as much out of that as you can because you can just so weird and roadhousey and it's great. Yeah. Well, it's so alien. It's, you know, like when your characters get there, they don't speak the, any of the languages. They don't know what to make of these creatures that they come across. They're not packed worlds races, you know, so to speak. So having such, you really feel like a fish out of water, you know, and I think that that was. When we talked to Eleanor about this, that was something that she really wanted to do, was give you that sense. And uh, so coming back to it and then dealing again with Skralen and the uh, the Dralix at Third Eye Salvage, that, that was um, a nice capstone because we had an encounter with the Dralix when we first got to Outpost Zed. And so you kind of get to conclude the arc of of the asparagus heads <laughs> early in book three you know yeah and that's something i i got a kick out of too you know you you write this race you know that's there and you guys come up with the name asparagus heads and then now when i look at art i'm like yep they're walking asparagus <laughs> yeah, you can't it. unsee it you've ruined it for me no but it's no, great though correction we made it better for that's you. right that's right <laughs> there you go uh so, no but yeah go i loved that book three started back at outpost Zed, and that you had this like week to spend there you know because you did have all these different encounters with the assassination plot going with the reptoid and everything like that and so like you had this week to really get to dig into outpost Zed, and like before you leave it forever right because once you leave outpost Zed to go to arellos there's no there's no going back yeah. you know you're you're kicking the aslanti beehive as hard as you've kicked it so far in the adventure, you know, and so like heading back to that Pazette, being anywhere in Islandi star space 24 hours after leaving Aurelis is a bad idea, you know? And so like you, I, you know, we, we got in there and, and, and gave it what we got. And Heath's character was able to give me a good, 
good like latch to build on with with the boxing and everything. So oh, that was, was cool. Fun. That was really cool because as a writer, we we're, we're kind of slaves to our word count. You know, we have to sit at the word count. You'd love to detail every nook and cranny. So when mm-hmm. you know we can only put in so much, but when you see a GM like yourself or other GMs out there who add to that story and flesh out what what you know, I never would have thought of a boxing tournament. I never would have thought of that. But it's so cool and it works and it keeps the characters there for it gives them something to do for that week other than just sitting around in that, you know, little space suite I had. And and I love to see GMs do that, to take something, you know, that, that I may have made a seven, they make it a nine or a ten. That's that's so rewarding as a writer to see you guys, you know, take 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 any idea or take any setting and the PCs. You know, I, I rate I rate the set piece, I rate the 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 bad guys, but you guys are the protagonists. That's really cool. Yeah, well, writing without protagonists—that's that's, that's got to be a challenge, man. That's got to be so tricky because you don't know what kind of personalities, what kind of strengths, weaknesses these people are going to have. So you really kind of have to leave it open-ended, I would imagine. Yeah, and write in write in a lot of different things. Like there's the assassination plot. How do you uncover that? There's Evandrian having the hostage hostages behind that. Uh, shimmering sphere that's electrocuting them. Do you fight? Do you talk? Do you engineer your way through that? You, you really want to provide multiple ways to attack a problem, right? And that's how you get around that. You know, when maybe your one protagonist is a super engineer and your other group, it's an envoy who talks his way out of everything and Captain Kirk's its way through. So you really gotta, really gotta leave things open-ended and you get those GMs who get to see the characters, the protagonists, and they get to then see Hey, I've got this Vesk fighter. Well, let's have a boxing tournament on, on Opus Dead. Brilliant. Loved it. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the whole beauty of the whole medium of storytelling that is tabletop role playing is that it's always going to be collective storytelling. You know, like it's always dependent on a lot of people's ideas and creativity coming together in this kind of like, some that's greater than its parts story but it's kind of scary for anybody who's like used to writing a controlled story because so much of it is up in the air and and randomized and and for you to put out have to you know be tasked with putting out an adventure that any group can sit down and play despite not only the differences in the player characters but the players themselves and what their style is of playing and how groups all that dynamic i think that you've done a good job particularly in this book with leaving enough space for it to adapt to a party by that point who's already spent six levels together you know so there's been a lot of development leading up to that point you know that needs to be involved in the main story but you if it's the story's written too closely then there's no room for the party to influence spread their wings yeah that goes back to to paizo as well it's, you know, my name's on the front of the book and I, and I did this, the writing, but there's several developers and several people at Paizo who go through and fix everything and make things, you know, I'm sure if I go back to my my original manuscript that I handed in, there may be some areas where I did pigeonhole or like force people one way. And Paizo, you know, they do a great job. They've been in this business for a while and they're all experienced. They do a great job of, of making sure that any mistake that I have is, is um, is taken care of you know like my job is to write a b plus a minus manuscript and their job is to make it an a plus and working with jason keely he's was fantastic 
Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. It, it's certainly a team effort, and, and it's it, there's layers to it, right? Because there's you, and then there's Paizo adding something on top of what you wrote, and then the GM is going to add something on top of that, and then the players are going to add something on top of that, so that you get <laughs> well, wild and then the variances. dice have the final say. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, you yeah. know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you do, right? You roll that down. Right. It, speaking of of the dice, is that something that you really have to think about, like? What if players fail every roll that yeah. they make? Do you, That's do you beyond write the scope contingencies? Of <laughs> beyond yeah. the scope, right? The one, the one, the good example there is um, there's two I can think of. The one is the uh, the little pods you get to sleep in, and you get trapped in the pod and have to break your way out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, you could break your way out. You could find a hidden latch. You could have uh, your friends break it out, out you out. You could have them go to the computer and hack you out. So you start thinking about, okay, well, if I actually, and, and there's a lot of time to suffocate, but if someone actually suffocated in there, I'd feel pretty darn bad. Like, I just want you to get close to suffocating. And so you just always put, you know, if I was really cruel, I would never put the person inside couldn't get out because it'd be too tight. They couldn't punch through. They couldn't find that emergency latch, right? So you want to seed those things in in case the guy smacking it from outside rolls a one and the guy working on the computer screws up. You want to have multiple ways to get out of a problem. Do you ever write encounters with the intention of them being lethal? Uh, that's, I don't think I, I don't think I do consciously. You know, if my, I just got in a fight with my wife that night, maybe I do. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. My wife is super supportive and a lovely woman. Uh, it's a joke. If she listens to this, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. It's a fine line between challenging and scare. Not scaring. Scaring's not the word I want. To use, but if you have an encounter or a series of encounters and it's easy, it's boring. If you have a series of encounters that are too hard, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a lot too of what Paizo has kind of taught you with you know you know development notes is you want to you know put a couple hard encounters in an easy encounter or you know you've got four PCs you want to challenge three but have one class can shine, and that comes with experience because like you say that class may not be there to shine so. Your group of only fighters is going to be in trouble if they don't have the thief to pick the door. So you want to be able to have that door being battered down. But battering that door down causes a lot of noise and brings a lot of enemies mm-hmm. to the scene, right? So I don't think I ever go in trying to kill anybody. And I'm not one of those people who, you know, I th- think most of us will joke, oh, t- t- total, total party kill. But I think if I had several total, total party kills, I think I failed the players. I want them to have memories, you know, like I think back and say, oh, my God, when I first went through Castle Amber, here's what I remember. Hey, when I first right. went through Keep on the Borderlands and I said Briark, you know, those are those are the memories I want people to have. Yeah, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to character death, but I do think that total party kill is you should be able to see that coming before it happens and try to prevent it because yeah. tpk like in, unless there is just a super super valid story reason and i think that's far and few between a total party kill kind of sucks because kills, yeah that's over you, yeah, yeah you're not going to come back with five new four or five new brand new characters and like have the same investment in the yeah. story as those characters, I, I, I guess you know? in against the air on the throne what you could do is say okay we're some scientists now and the pieces gave us the opportunity to rebel but it's it's not what you that's a that's a really good out actually i, I hadn't even thought of that but yeah it would be a great way yeah. to do it if yeah. you did I, I you know i think a gm you know adam 
you know, included. I, I think you can always find a way to introduce introduce it. But I've been the same way. Like I've I've had a long campaign and we're having a great time. And then unfortunately, oh my God, we accidentally TPK'd the party. Didn't see it coming. It happened. And then we tried to restart the, the game, and our character's like, "Well, I'm not motivated." So I, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, you know, do I try and kill one of the PCs? I don't, I don't know. If a PC dies, is that good? Well, if it's good for the story, it's good. You know, if the PC is mm-hmm. like, you know, in my home games, I've had a friend say, "I'm bored of this character," and kill him off. And we've written that into the story and had an yeah. epic, epic Obi Wan Kenobi self sacrifice moment, right? right. Um, but that being said, you know, how do I say it? There needs to be a threat of consequences and what those consequences are, you know, like if there's a player who's doing things and they are going to get their PC, their PC will get um, killed by, well, that threat has to be there. That threat has to be real. You can't just do a sex machine and save them every time because then the players will get lazy, right? Yeah. But I don't think I write to say... Hey, uh, this this encounter. I'm like I, I expect this encounter to take one or two of the party out. Yeah, yeah. And, that's and, not that's. No, and, and and I think Paizo would not give me jobs if that's friend, how I was friend, writing. Yeah, yeah. Right. and in, and in fact, the way you write, you're you know, it's a formula, right? Like you look for the encounter levels and the challenge ratings, and I think challenge rating plus three is is epic, and you're only allowed to have like one epic in in your adventure, right? So Zolan would be the epic encounter. That's the one. Where we might kill you, and that's the capstone grand finale. Yeah, that's where that's where yeah. if you die, it feels heroic. Yeah, anyway, and, yeah, know, like. yeah. And Evandrian is probably uh, encounter level plus two. Where if he happens to kill a PC, well, that can happen. But you know, you know, Screaling or or Grasslix, you know, they probably shouldn't. Be the TPKers. Grasslicks folded quick under under Titanium Mike's punches. They like I didn't get anywhere with with that. (laughs) There was a little. I see that that's the part that hurts me more. You talk about what I would like to do better, and you don't always. Sometimes this formula doesn't always work. You're like, oh, that was way too easy for them. I would like to give them more challenge. Or, wow, I wrote that and had this cool reptoid assassin. I would like to be able to cat and mouse a little more, but that's okay. In in in. The specific instance of our show, it was just kind of how, who ended up being next to Grasslix when the reveal happened. You That's know, if right, it had yeah. been Ziva and Zeno, that would have gone a lot differently. But, yeah. but when you have Mike there who can punch through three walls with one punch, yeah, that, it's not going to last. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and th- and that goes to speak with I can't control. You're right. Every party right. out there. But that gives like, our, like. The whatever party like hey we crushed that encounter but then when we got to the twin soul and we didn't have the means to like deal with this that's a hard that was you know so different encounters probably play different are different difficulties based on the party makeup you know yeah and you want to give the pcs moments where they destroy the enemy that's important too yeah. they want to feel powerful and that's important mm-hmm. they need to have some wins for sure yeah yeah i'm all for that so let's let's talk for a second about some of your favorite NPCs and your inspirations from them. So what what would you say are your favorite? Oh, you mentioned Evandrian, I think. Um, what about like Murgleburg? Where how did that come about? <laughs> Murgleburg is awesome, and this is again I have to give huge credit to Jason Keeley. Murgleburg's not mine, and I'm glad you brought that up because this is what I'm talking about. It takes like a community to make a great adventure. I think, well, not I think, I know, when I was designing that encounter, the prisoner there, I made a Shimreen because a couple books later, I was asked to develop a monster and I developed this crystalloid creature called the Shimreen. I thought, okay, cool, I'll throw him in here now. 
you know, Jason, to his credit, saw, okay, listen, this race of creature who Merleberg is was written more recently, and he created that character. And that's a highlight of the book almost, you know, from mm. when I talk to people, they ask about Merleberg Mer- Mer- all the time, and he always has the same voice. You know, he's always got that wet talk, and he, yeah. he cracks everybody up, <laughs> and he's a, he's a great... You know, I think another weakness I have is I don't write comedy well. Like, and he creates a great comic relief in this dark, dour, horrible, oppressive place that helps to reinforce that, but also brings brevity to the situation. So, Jason Keeley, I assume maybe it was some other person working, but I believe it's Jason Keeley, uh, created Merleberg, and I can't even say the name. And and I remember flipping. Took me forever <laughs> yeah. to settle on a pronunciation. Yeah, of that. yeah. We'll get our contributor copies, and, and you flip through and you look, and you're like, oh, what's this? This is different. So then you, you know, you're skimming through and you stop when you see something different and you read, right? And I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, damn you, Jason, for thinking of this, and I didn't. Damn you. But you know, <laughs> it just makes me look better. But that needs to be attributed to Jason Keeley, and this is why it's not just the person on the front of the book who works on these and one of the coolest characters in the whole book you know and and yeah shucks it's not mine but that's great i love it it was definitely a definitely a fun npc you know and as you said it comes in right at the time that you need a little like a little punch of, of brevity uh, yeah, yeah of, well, you, of re, you know of relief of like okay here's some exposition and it's kind of a funny weirdo character you know, like we can smile for a second because we've just been under assault, or you know, for every moment. Not that only we've that, been in here. yeah, being under assault and also like the oppressiveness of the area with the you know racist undertones, which isn't always right, easy right. to write, and the hatred of anything alien from the Aslanti, which is, you know, it's not. You, you try and write it, and you want to hammer that home, and you want to find that balance between, am I being a jerk or am I being just doing enough to get the story across? So Mergler in there was needed and I and my for my developers to see that and to say hey listen let's bring this moment of light here and and, and give the players something to enjoy like again brought my book from a B plus to an A plus hopefully and definitely or maybe from a C minus to a B plus who knows but it sure did uh, sure did help yeah a very memorable NPC um, what about Oliviana uh, can you talk about Oliviana for a second yeah. was she Kind of. Do you have like uh, a science teacher you didn't like? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was. Uh, you know, I, I saw the art of her when it, when it came out. I was surprised. It's not what I envisioned in my head, but it works. It's great. It's, it's a it's a doctor. Um, yeah, just that snooty scientist. Uh, you know, I wrote her up. I I kind of. I think I went in one version. Maybe she was like really ultra, um, one sided love towards the Zolan and 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 and, and ultra. Um, loyal loved him but he didn't love her back but you know she just ended up being someone you know to push off the get to work kind of like to, sh- to mm-hmm. show that we're working 24 7 yes yeah, i think she plays a lot better as a taskmaster you know yeah than like than like a hopeless devotee to because to, like you know i mean i could see that i could certainly see that story playing out and like having i mean that could definitely be filled out but i think it, it helps sell the situation at arellos yeah a lot more stern, to have yeah. her being like we're we're almost there figuring it out you know just having that like obsessed with the with the science yeah bit of it you know uh well 
I didn't I didn't catch that she kind of had a thing for Zolon, but in hindsight, yeah, like absolutely, of course she did, right? Like it just it makes sense to me. No, even speaking of Zolon. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> well Zolon's easy, right? Zolon was pretty much even the way I wrote him, I I almost made a mistake with Zolon actually. In part of the Adventure Path Bible, they have a little blurb of what they want on the covers. And they give you a scene in the covers, and, and I'm sure I can read it to you. It's sort of give you a quick little thing of it because it, it, they—that's what they put on the front cover. So they want you to um, have a little scene that will depict, and basically just says that there's you're in a really clean research laboratory, white walls, little bits of machinery, and you're you know fighting Aeon guards. That's the back scene. If you look in the cover, that's the back scene. And then on the front scene, it gives this is a male Atlantean noble and military officer says he has high cheekbones, black hair, widow's peak, bronze skin, violet eyes, and he's carrying a, he has a Solarian weapon that is similar to a longsword. When I first wrote him up, I totally missed that he had a longsword, and I made him like a, more of a Graviton um, Solarian, and, I, and thank God before I handed it, I went and read that again to make sure. So I had to tweak him a bit, but, you know, I looked at that, and I thought, well, I've already have him a Graviton where he's pushing back bolts of energy and deflecting laser beams. He's Darth Vader with a light so- lightsaber, right? It's pretty, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious. He's clone of well not a clone but inspired by you know Darth Vader and like you said earlier the Aeon Guards reminded you of Stormtroopers I got that same vibe right stark clean emotionless mm-hmm. helmeted like, like yeah. rigid clones uh, you know this there's such rigid uniformity because yeah. this is such a, a, a totalitarian empire and you look at, yeah, yeah. You, you look at just that I think the Star, you know, if I could say it, and I, maybe I, I can't, but you look at that intellectual property and their um, their inspiration, what it seems for their enemy, it's kind of the same inspiration for the Islanti when you think of they have a shared inspiration. So it was mm-hmm. hard, it's hard not to think how, and, and you know, and obviously the Solarian is also probably tied a little bit to that other intellectual property properties, mystic weapon yeah. wielders. Yeah, that that battle of of. Celestial bodies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but, but uh, you know, of course, it's 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 you know, like I said before, Thunder the Barbarian had an energy weapon. You know, that's it's all through science fantasy where they have power swords and laser swords, and I'm sure George Lucas got his inspiration from the same pulp magazines that inspire Pathfinder and Starfinder. It's a trope, and it's sure. a it's a wonderful trope. And as I was writing, Mom, obviously, I'm 46 years old. I saw Star Wars. You know, I love Star Wars. <laughs> so it's going to be hard not to creep in a little bit, right? Yeah, especially if you have the chance. And you have such an empire like yeah. the Aslanti. It's, uh, it would be almost uh, a shame if you didn't capitalize on yeah, it just and, a little bit. And, and that, yeah, and the little bit's exactly the word I want to stress because, you know, he's not wearing black armor. He doesn't have rebreather problems. He's not this he's not he's not Darth Vader and and I did not want to make him anywhere near Darth Vader but just Darth Vader has a cool air of villainous with him and I wanted someone to have that too right but well, I'm not gonna lie and say that I wasn't a little tempted to have a reveal that one of the party was related to Zolan Ulvestri, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. But I, I didn't. I did. I pulled back on that. You, you know, know. I, I don't think that's a, a, a thing that other parties have drawn upon that I've heard stories about and I think that's great too you know if it goes back to the GM you know like I've created a little bit it goes back to word count I can only have so many words dedicated to the Sardat if a player or a GM reads it and says hey I want to take this and go and create this and even if that means changing 
Sardat and Solana Ovastri greatly to mesh your game. Do it. And I think that's mm-hmm. great. I think that's great. This, this adventure won't play out the exact same way at two tables. Right? That's that's shared storytelling you mentioned is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but uh, to the Solarian point, Adam had asked us privately. We knew about Zolan. We had gotten his, his journals and we'd learned about him and all this kind of stuff. And he asked us, what class do you think the Sardat is? And we had named off, like, you know, Operative, Technomancer, and all this stuff. But when we encountered him on that bridge, and he pulled out his solar weapon, we were all like, he's a Solarian! Oh my, you know, like, <laughs> it, was, it was a huge, because we weren't expecting it, but it was like, of course he is. That's a, that's a perfect class for him, and we were all... Uh, really excited that he was in fact a Solarian for sure. Yeah, and 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 he may have been the one NPC that I would hope could kill somebody, but I'm okay if he didn't. I'm happy if he didn't. Well, I should well, have tried, Larry. Well, yeah. tried. <laughs> you failed me for the last time. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, speaking of Starfinder classes, Larry, what are some of your favorite Starfinder? races and classes what do you get into if you wanted to roll something up right now what would you roll up well because i'm vain of course uh, i do like the shimmering you know because i was the first one to write them and they did make it into the alien archive two or three two or three i can't remember but in that instance someone else had written them and added a little more to them which makes me like them even more so you know i i i, I do like the shimmering if you don't know what they're again the crystalloid creatures and i really have a soft spot um for them uh i like the yosoki i like the little rat guys you know and that was even before you know guardians of the galaxy but i i yosoki's always fun to fun to roll up and you know i, I think if i was playing a class i think i would be drawn towards the envoy or the uh, operative i w- was actually quite surprised i didn't really the operative did nothing for me to be honest until i started writing evandrian and really got into what they could do i was like oh these, these guys are pretty good and, yeah, I had uh, a similar I had a similar revelation when I started rolling dice for Evandrian and like really interacting with the operative skill sets and, and things that you can do. You're like, man, this feels good. Like this yeah. is like you feel pretty badass doing some of that trick shot. Yeah, tr- stuff, trick man. attack is a sleeper. It really yeah. is. People are sleeping yeah. on it. I think so. And, and I that agree. that being said, I, in the core rulebook, all the classes are really cool. I remember when I was starting to write for them and, and they sent me the pdf before it came out and i started looking through it i'm like oh this is cool this is cool because it's not just space fighter space wizard space cleric mm-hmm. you know it was really cool and, and you know they've even come out with a couple more classes which i actually haven't had a chance to look at too much but i better but it's just i yeah it's kind of hard to say which is my which is my favorite um the vasker cool like big lizard man like big chunky boys like i don't know they're just really cool man yeah yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Witch Warper is is a really cool class that's from the the com from the new uh, set of classes. Yeah, I really dig those. Speaking of that, I was um, my last writing for Starfinder, which isn't quite out yet, but it should be coming out in uh, the Devastation Arc Adventure Path at Dominion's End. I got to write um, in the first Adventure Path that came out. There was a uh, I think in book five or book four. Relics of the Kishali, who's from this long-lost alien race that was a superpower. Well, their enemy or their sworn enemy was the Civ, and I got to write the Civ, um, uh, you know, Empire the, the Civ relics, uh, and a lot of the Civ relics had stuff with quantum mechanics and alternate realities. And all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to stop you there, Larry. We're playing <laughs> Devastation Arc. Oh, oh, oh. 
I'm soaking it up. I'm taking notes. A little teaser there. All right. Well, anyway, I got to write that article, so you know, we'll be interested to see what the players find their hand get their hand on. And the cool thing too is. I wrote the back. Maybe I can get that kill for you with that book. Yeah, How's yeah, that yeah. No, no worries. I'm, 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 I'm sure you will. No, but <laughs> it's cool because they're going to take that article and then look at some of the items I wrote, or maybe that the author wrote and added to that article, and you know, to tie that together with that. So it's pretty exciting that uh, it's fun to write back matter stuff. It's fun to write adventures. It's fun to do every little bit, anything that Pyro gives me. I, I always enjoy doing it. Well, yeah, I was actually going to ask you. Um, what you thought I know you've written a lot of society stuff for both Pathfinder and Starfinder what would you say are the biggest differences between writing a, a book for an AP versus writing a society module yeah you know do the, do the easiest thing first is the word count obviously Starfinder and Pathfinder society are, are less words but that's a challenge that's easier and harder at the same time harder because you want to tell a story and you've got to really be tight with your words to not go over your words because there's a hard word limit for pages and art and what will fit and it's easier because you can get done more quickly and and you know i think a starfinder society you're looking at about four to six five to seven uh, encounters probably more around five if you're going to average it out and, and you can be really tight with your writing but being tight with your writing sometimes like oh crap if i could just develop this a little bit more it would be better, but you got to really be tight. Um, writing a, an adventure path um, is a lot of responsibility because you're not just writing a contained, you're not just writing your story. Um, this one was easier because I was at the tail end of it. I was writing the third book of three, so I didn't have to worry about what came after. What came after doesn't matter because you've done this, this story. You'll go to a new story and, you know, GM can take something from this if they want or not. You'll be in a whole different sector of space, in fact. Um, writing something I think I wrote um, the second book of an adventure path a couple of times and you really got to say the players got here how did the players get here do you want to have any reoccurring enemy or re reoccurring theme from that book and you don't always get to see that book you know that book you won't if that book won't be written or it's being written at the same time so I've contacted other authors and said hey I'm thinking of doing this like a good example in Vault of the Onyx Citadel I had uh, contacted Amber Scott and said hey I'm making this NPC who I'd like to be the father of one one of your NPCs. How do you feel about that? And you're including the developer in this discussion. And she was graciously, great, great idea. Go ahead and do it. Here's what I, you know, here's some ideas. And all of them fantastic and better than what I originally thought of and was able to add that to that. So, you, you know, you, you don't have to do that, but you want to, like, like a souffle, you want to weave these adventures into each other. It takes more time. It's challenging. It's... Um, you know, you're sharing you're sharing it the story more like the Pathfinder Society and Starfighter Society. In the past, they were self-contained. It'd be one, it'd be two, and maybe there'd be two that are linked. Starfinder now, everything is linked, or everything is part of a greater story. So, because I've written Adventure Pass, I'm I'm more able to think about that to think of okay, I have to think of a greater thing than just my story. Um, sometimes in the smaller ones, the Pathfinder and Starfinder, you have more control over what you write. And in the bigger ones, it's easier because you have more of an outline that you get to follow. So they're both good. They're both good. Obviously, you get paid yeah. by the word, so that you get paid more for the bigger ones. So that's really nice, too. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the bigger ones have more incentive, for yeah, sure. Yeah, well, they're, they're both good. Sometimes it's nice just to bang out a couple small ones and not be too stressed. Because you'll get that right. fatigue where, God, I've been writing about this and I just, I'm done with it. You know, and and thank God that writer's block doesn't last, you know, very long and you get back on it. But with the shorter ones, you don't usually get that as much. 
Yeah, well, you mentioned something about writing the end of an AP and and how you like that because what comes after that doesn't necessarily matter quite as much because you're going to be in a different thing. I, t- I took a look at the Rune Drive Gambit a- after we finished, of course. Yeah. I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't do that to Adam. <laughs> but um, in, in, in kind of the back section, it mentions certain things about perhaps a certain Aslanti gets word of this and, and comes after them. So, like, do, do you write those, or is that Paizo that throws that stuff in there? In that instance, I, the article is called usually Continuing the Campaign, I think. Yeah. In this instance, yeah. it, it wasn't me. It was, you know, probably it was Jason. Uh, well, I shouldn't. I, I assume it was Jason Keeley or someone who had edited or developed it because they had read the whole thing and thought, okay, what can I do to continue this? Um, if, and But I think if I looked into my book, maybe it would say who it was. But yeah, that I didn't write. And that's cool. That was cool for me to read too, because like, oh, how can you continue this? I believe in yeah. some some instances, maybe some authors do do that. Um, and the ones where I've written the capstone, I've never done the continue the adventure. It's always been someone else. Um, and I think there'd okay. be two parts, part, the part six I wrote, Vault of the Onyx Citadel, and then this part three, and I, I did not do that. But it's really, I think it's almost better not to do because someone can look at your with fresh eyes and without assumptions and okay here's what we're going to do maybe they they might even have an idea three like from what i've heard i've never seen it there's a big whiteboard in paisal and they have all their adventure ideas and what they're going to do and those move up and down depending upon what what they want to do and how they want to do it or what's hot in the current current um social media or what's not hot and or oh my god this they just did this we don't want to do it now cross it off you know, maybe these continue these these campaign things are things that are on their board and they want to seed it in. So five years from now, when they return to Atlantis space, maybe this family will be there. I don't know. I'm speculating, but I, these <laughs> guys are smart. They they if you, a lot of their books they seed they seed ideas into their books, and I think they, they they obviously they know what they're doing. Well, let me ask you this kind of to to follow up with that. So with the with the APs. You know, I know that there's a general canon for Galarian and Pathfinder and that the way that the APs work in Pathfinder is that they're kind of chronological, like as if these events happened in Galarian kind of one after another, right? And like that things, you know, the easiest one that I can think of right off the bat because I'm not like super familiar with all the APs, but like with Jade Regent, you you have connections to Rise of the Rune Lords and Rise, the events of Rise of the Rune Lords has already happened and referenced in Jade Regent to yeah. some degree. Is that the same thing for Starfinder? So it's like Dead Suns, yeah. the kind of beginning of the yes. timeline for playing Starfinder and then against the Aeon Throne is like right after the events if, or simultaneously happening? Or? Yeah, if you haven't noticed, and, and, I, and I, you know what, I haven't looked if it's for Starfinder, but I assume it is, but for Pathfinder, it totally is this, first edition anyway. If you look at the current year of Pathfinder, it's the same year we are. So Pathfinder Society is the last two numbers will be twenty. Gotcha. And when they started Pathfinder Society, the last two numbers were whatever year they first started. And every new season, or if it's two, if it's two seasons to a year, they, the 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 plot advances a year. So our twenty twenty is the same as Glor. I mean, I'm, I'm making up a number here. Our twenty twenty is the same as Glorian's fourteen twenty. Like just for mm-hmm. like 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 for timing. So the writers can. You know, just so you don't forget what date you're on. I think they did that for ease. But, and then, like you say, what happened in Rise of the Rune Lords happened in, say, 2000. Uh, I'm going to make up the number because I don't remember. So that happened in 2008, 7, 2007. 
So it would have been 1407. And then now the newest adventure, uh, Age of Extinction. I don't even know what the new second one is. I apologize. Uh, Age of Ashes. Age of Extinction Ashes. Curse. No, yeah. Extinction Curse. I, I, I put them together. I'm sorry. Extinction Curse. <laughs> if they've carried that through, would be set in the year XX20. Right. Okay. And I wonder if they've done that, but they. I need to. I need to look. I actually have. I know they have my, for two e. I chose to switch my Pathfinder subscription to Starfinder, just because I thought. Why not? <laughs> what happened? You still with us, Larry? There was a freeze. Oh, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. Oh, oh, man, sorry. Oh. Oh. Okay. 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 Yeah, no worries. No worries. Well, you actually ended up answering my next question, which was going to be, do you think that the Aslanti are going to appear somewhere down the road again in another Starfinder adventure? Do you think that we'll ever go up against the Speculation actual Speculation only, yeah, of course. Well, yeah. well and it, w- it would only be speculation, but, you know, in my idea, they're such a cool villain. They, you, you certainly hope they would, and there's a whole... You know, they've just teased you. You just put your toe in the yeah. water. You were at the fringe of the space, you know? You, yeah, you, like, you, you we were, barely even yeah. got into it with, with them, you, you know? Did, you did not go to New Thespera. You just went to, like, mm. the, the Diet Coke of his land space, just that right. little bit. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know when or if or how, but if they do, I'd sure like to write them again. And if they, you know, as, as, a, as a Starfinder fan, you'd like to see them somewhere. And that might be in a whole series, maybe in a society's uh, season there'll be the invasion of the Aslan. Yeah. maybe it'll yeah. be a new adventure path I don't know what they, they will do but it'd be cool yeah I, I, I think it'll be interesting they're a great villain you love yeah. to hate them yeah mm-hmm. they're, you love they're to hate them. a classic trope and they've got a cool twist to them I mean, the fact that they're original descendants of Galarian that's blown up is even cooler yeah you know? I really like that because then you have like all this extra lore that while well, it's not like very particularly relevant to the Starfinder Aslanti, you still have like yeah, where they came from, plus all all of the the stuff that Pathfinder has developed for them. So you have this lost city of Atlantis that has a lost civilization of Atlantis that went to space and became the new lost civilization of Atlantis. It's yeah, really, really interesting <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, know? and for for Paizo to have all that stuff, I like I said I'd be I'd be surprised if they never ever went back to the Islanti or even you know they're starting to do a lot of stuff that we talked about earlier with the witch warper you know this alternate realities maybe they'll have a starfighter adventure craft where you go back to Galorian in the past on Islanti and get to screw with that yeah, yeah you try to Man, stop them from so cool. yeah stop yeah. them from leaving yeah that would be neat. in the first place yeah yeah, yeah change it's like, be like the reverse of the Pathfinder yeah. adventure that has like starfinder elements but yeah. this would be the starfinder adventure that drops you into a Pathfinder world where you would just decimate everybody, let's be real, with your laser guns, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'd be tough, right? Because there's always something we're told as writers, don't break the toys, right? Like, don't break... The coolest thing I got to do in one of the adventure passes is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, uh, I got to blow up a city called uh, Vigil and Last Watch. And normally you would never get to blow up a city. Like, I got to (laughs) atom bomb the city, destroy it. I got to like a called, major place in the in the camp. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I got to what's called break the toys, and that was an honor that they trusted me to break one of their toys. Obviously, they they gave me permission to do that because if I wrote an adventure, oh yeah, I wanted to I wanted to destroy this, they would like no, you know, we didn't write fifteen <laughs> source books talking about this for some idiot to come in and, and ruin it. 
but to be able to do that with their blessing was was fantastic i was excited when i read that i'm like ooh, because you think about it i've probably killed the most npcs ever i've killed a whole city of tens of thousands i don't yeah, know if in one go right can say it's one that. shot yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice awesome i'm a sick person oh, that's, that's I guess, gotta yeah. be a so well, you do it's, write it's, lethal encounters. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I do. Just, just citywide. Well, yeah, just citywide. Is there anything that you're uh, that you're currently working on, or you've just finished up, that you can yeah, talk about what you've got coming up? Yeah, like I said, the thing I have coming up, which I can kind of talk about, about is the Devastation of Arc Adventure Path, where I'm writing a back article about a sister article to the relics of the uh, Kishili. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. Uh, so I'm doing the relics of the Civ. And I'm excited about that, and that'll come out in a little while, I think in September. And then what I'm doing now actually is kind of really cool. It's, I'm doing this um, uh, for a different company, not Paizo. I'm doing it for, um, uh, um, why am I drawing a blank? Green Ronin. Green Ronin. And, and I'm working with someone who I did work with in Paizo, uh, Crystal Fraser, who's, I can't say how much I admire this person. Um, I kind of strive to be a lot like her because she is a fantastic writer, does amazing maps, is an amazing artist. and. I've just drawn a lot of inspiration from her work and uh, she we contacted each other and I'm doing a superhero adventure which I'm totally jazzed about. I get to do, uh, I've done fantasy, I've done sci-fi and now I get to do supers so I'm a bit scared because it's it's a bit different but I'm also very excited to to try that, to, to do right superhero games. Yeah, yeah the, of, of, of those like alternate uh, RPGs and that's like based on the fate system is that right no no it's a d20 it's like um it's just it's just a d20 and just uh, a you, d20 yeah you do target numbers and and if you get like higher than five you have a better effect yeah just the d20 it's uh it's quite it's quite interesting and, and that's part of it being a bit a bit nervous it's a bit different from what I've been doing but you know I, I'm a role player I've tried a lot of different games and I, I have played uh, mutants and masterminds in the past but not third edition so I'm looking forward to trying something new. But that being said, I will always want to and accept any work that uh, Paizo gives me because they're fantastic to work for as well. Awesome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Larry, I think we've taken enough, enough of your time, man. <laughs> I know we, we could we could just go on and on and, and ramble about our shared love of, uh, of games and, and writing. However, uh, maybe we can have you back during Devastation Arc sometime, yeah, and, and we can we can talk again about uh, about the new challenges that you throw at us. So, Larry Wilhelm, thank you so much thank for you, joining Larry. us, man. We really appreciate it. It's been great to pick your brain. Please come back again. My my pleasure. Yeah. So much fun, guys. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you. <laughs> <laughs>